Okay, good morning. Um, I think we can start. Let's, let, let's begin by praying. Okay. Um, just want to give you one minute. You want to pray and, and commit yourself into the hands of the Lord. You want to pray and thank God for your life, for the lives of your relatives, your friends, and um, any other person that is significant in your life. Say, Father Lord, I thank you for their lives in the name of Jesus. I want to thank God for all the opportunities that He granted you this week, all the victories, all the successes, health, strength, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The Bible says that that's the thanksgiving of many may redound unto the glory of the Lord. That men ought to give thanks to God always. Father, we thank you for our lives. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for granting us the grace to even wake up this morning. We thank you for granting us the grace to have the zeal to study your word. We pray that as we are about to have this discussion, grant us the grace to understand, grant us the grace to, as we always say, most importantly, apply the principles in our lives that the end we shall have the cause to give you praise and an adoration. Even as we are studying the book of Exodus, which is a book of redemption, we pray that as we go through the pages and the scriptures, may we indeed be redeemed. May we indeed be redeemed. The name of Jesus may we be set free, may we be liberated from all things that are holding us bondage and captive. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise, we honor your name, we exalt your supremacy in Jesus' name. We pray, thanksgiving, amen. Okay, so, um, I think we are in the book of Exodus, and we've done 18 chapters so far, we are in chapter 19. So I'll just give us a brief summary of what we've done so far, then we'll pick it up from chapter 19 and we would continue. Okay, so the book of Exodus is the second um, book in the Bible. And as we have discussed, the main theme for that book is God redeeming the people of Israel from Egypt. Um, so we, we saw in the chapter one how um, the family of Jacob went into Egypt and how they began to multiply and began to fill Israel and how the previous Pharaoh who knew Joseph died and another Pharaoh arose which knew not Joseph nor the God of Israel. So he began to enslave them, and of course he was afraid that these people become mighty and overthrow his kingdom. So he started um, enslaving them and um, giving them more work to do. And as we saw, um, we saw how they cried unto the Lord, and God heard them, and God sent forth his man Moses. We looked a bit about the background of Moses. 
and how Moses um, grew up in the house of Pharaoh, being taught and trained in all the mysteries of Egypt. How he knew that he was not an Egyptian, but he was an Israelite. Um, he began to defend the people of Israel. Ultimately, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He escaped into the wilderness. And as I emphasize, is that same wilderness that he eventually will bring the people of Israel into, okay? So they, um, he escaped into the wilderness. And in the, in the wilderness, um, of course, he met Jethro, who was a priest, married one of his daughters, and then began to um, develop his family over there. He was there for a period of 40 years, where one day he decided to go to Mount Sinai. Now, today, we are looking at Exodus 19. We are going to look at Mount Sinai, what's happening at Mount Sinai, okay? But remember that it was at the same Mount Sinai, that was where he saw the burning bush. So I'm going to link it. So I'm just bringing it up so that we, we, we look at the relationship between the burning bush as we saw in Exodus 3 and then its relationship with Exodus 19, okay? Good. So God called him to the burning bush. He said that where he was was the holy ground, so he should remove his shoes. Of course, God began to speak to him and empower him and sent him forth to um, Egypt. Of course, he began to give excuses, but God um, told him that he was well able, he was empowered, and even had his brother Aaron in Egypt, who would be his spokesman. So he went to Egypt, he faced Pharaoh, you saw how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And of course, God had to, through plagues, deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. Well, we saw how they crossed the Red Sea, and how after crossing the Red Sea in Exodus 14 and 15, they began to sing psalms and songs unto the Lord. Then the issue of they not having water came in, God gave them water. The issue of they not having food came in. God gave them the manna. And then we saw last week about how, how God gave them the water and then the significance of that and how immediately God provided them with water. The people of Amalek came to fight them. We then used that as an opportunity to, to look at the, the, the battle of Amalek, that's a battle between Amalek and Israel, which had a spiritual implication, okay, of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We, look, we looked at the, the differences and the correlation between the two. Then we go to chapter 18, which had to do with um, Moses um, training our people to be dealing with disputes amongst the children of Israel. So this then brings us to chapter 19. So we begin at chapter 19, verse 1. So he says that, Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month, when the people, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they unto the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and come unto the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and Israel camped before the mount. Okay, so they are now camping before 
Mount Sinai. Okay, and as I was saying, this is the same place where Moses um, had an encounter with God, okay, on the burning bush, okay? So very, very important. So you have to understand that when, when Moses fled from Egypt into the wilderness, okay, this is the same area. So he had been in this same area for 40 years. So he knew the place very well, okay? That's, that was why he could also lead them through the wilderness. Very important concepts. Verse 3. <clears throat> and Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, verse 4. So God is telling Moses to tell the children of Israel this, okay? Verse 4, Exodus 19, 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Verse 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, if you look at verse 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6 may sound familiar to us because when you look at the book of First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, I'm sure we all know this, um, that we are a peculiar people, we are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, okay? I, I want us to read that in um i think first peter 2 and the verse number nine then you realize that when peter was saying that peter was indeed quoting from exodus 19 verse 5. okay so um if if you've not read this you think that peter was saying something new but indeed and in fact he was actually quoting from exodus 19. so we see first peter chapter 2 verse 9 Okay, he says that, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show for the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Now, when you look at this verse very critically, you would understand that um, ideally it is referring to the, the children of Israel who indeed and in fact were in darkness, that is in Egypt, but God has brought them into lights, okay? Good, now, the terms over there, um, when, you, when, you, when you look at the first chapter two and the verse number nine, you see the term royal priesthood. And when, when you are reading uh, um, Exodus 19 verse six, you see that it shall be unto me kingdoms of priests. So kingdoms, of priest means kings and priest. Royal priesthood means kings who are being priest. Okay. Good. And then an holy nation. Now, when you talk about a holy nation, we are talking about a nation that God Himself has set apart. Now, what now as you look through history, we would indeed and in fact see that God has always been with the 
nation of Israel because God has separated the nation unto himself and God is calling it his own nation. Okay, so that's the holy nation. Okay, good. Let's go back to our our Exodus. Good. So Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, once again. Now, therefore, if... Now, anytime you read the Bible, okay, most of God's promises are unconditional. Okay, so for example, you have the unconditional love of God. Okay, but there are, there are some of the terms, okay, which are indeed conditional. For example, this is a conditional covenant. Because it begins by saying, if, if ye obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then, you see, so if then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all poor. Now, if if you want to apply this in our lives, okay, if you want to become a peculiar treasure of God, God's treasure. When you talk about treasure, a treasure is something that a person would protect and defend with all his or her life. A treasure is something that is dear to a person. A treasure is something that is precious. A treasure is something that someone will sell everything he has to go and get. A treasure is something that someone will forfeit his life for, okay? So he's saying that, that's what God is saying, that if you want to become a peculiar treasure, then you must obey my voice and keep my covenant. It was to them. In our dispensation, the same if clause holds, or the same conditional promise over here holds. You want to be precious in the sight of God, you want to become a treasure unto God. You want to become a holy nation unto God. You want to become someone that God sets apart, like the way God has set Israel apart. Then there is an open covenant. There is an open invitation. That is if you obey my voice. If you obey my voice. Okay, let's continue verse 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of all the people of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. That's verse 7. Verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, now this was their mistake. All, I want you to look at the word all. All that the Lord has spoken, we would do. Arrogance. This was their mistake. All that the Lord has said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto God. So now they have gone into covenant with God. They are saying that, okay, we are going with this covenant. Okay, whatever God has said, we are also going to do it. But you see, you will see in the next chapter that God is going to give the Ten Commandments. Okay. And um, because they had given their words that they were going to do everything that God has said, they were obliged to obey all the Ten Commandments. And of course, um, when you are doing the book of Romans, we emphasized that the reason why God was giving these commandments was not so that they would obey them. Because actually, no one could have obeyed all the, all the commandments of, of God. No one. No matter how much you try, you can't. Okay, so the purpose of the, of the um, commandment was to make the people see how weak, fragile, sordid they were. And that apart from God, they cannot. That's the whole idea of 
that all these laws that we are talking about, okay? The law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is God's standard. The law is the how do you, the standards of God, okay? And what God was instructing them, or what, what God wanted to demonstrate, was to let them know and see how weak they were, and that with their own strength they cannot obey all the law. So here they are saying that they can do it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, let's go to verse nine, Exodus nineteen, verse nine. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee. So now, the people, God told Moses to go and tell them that if they will obey his voice, then God is going to select them as his peculiar people, as his holy nation, as the kingdom of priests. Then Moses went to relay the information to them. Then they told Moses to go and tell God that whatever God is going to say, they are willing to do. So now God wanted to meet them and speak to them, okay, this time um, with his own voice. He wanted to speak to them by himself, okay? So then God is going to tell them that before you hear my voice, before the people of Israel hear my voice, they need to be sanctified. They need to be cleansed for three days. Because if they don't do that, first of all, his presence will consume them. Secondly, his voice will consume them. So then, this was the prerequisite for them to hear God's, ah, for them to hear God's voice. Let's read verse nine again. And the Lord said unto them, "Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever." Because apparently, all this, all this while, Moses will come and inform you that God said this, God said that, God said that. Okay. So now God is saying that I want to come and speak to them so that they will hear my voice for themselves, so that. They will believe Moses. Let's continue on verse 9. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people around, saying, Take heed to yourself. So, this this was going to happen. Now this was what happened. God told them that he was he was come to speak to them, but the prerequisites was that they sanctify themselves, they purify themselves. Of course, that was an external purification. They washed their garments. Now, now, um, of course, it was important because, um, apparently, um, um for three months now they have not washed their garments. Okay, because as I said, the, the glory of the Lord was was protecting and and covering them. Okay. Uh, um, um, they wore the same garment for 40 years, the same shoes for 40 years, okay? The manner that we were eating was, was sustaining them in, in, uh, in their bodies as well as it was also sustaining the clothing that they were wearing. So God asked them to sanctify themselves and to wash their clothes because they were going to meet him on, on Mount Sinai. Now, Moses was supposed to set a boundary, okay? So that the people don't get so close to the mountain. Um, there's a reason for that. I will explain that. So that's verse um, 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people um, round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mountain shall surely be put to death. Now, this, this, this is the reason. You see, 
God is so holy and God is so powerful. Okay, you know, sometimes we, we forget about that. I also that sometimes we look, we, we focus more on the love of God that we, we forget about the holiness of God. This is the reason. God is telling them that they should sanctify themselves. They should wear their clothes. Okay, there is that tendency that someone will not do that. And the person will cross the, 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 the boundary and the fire of God will consume that person. Okay, so uh, uh, there was a prerequisite for them to, to set that, that bound, okay? Okay, verse 13. There shall no one touch it. No one should touch the mountain. Okay, if anyone touches, the person shall be stoned or shot through. Whether it's an animal or it's a, it's a man, it shall not leave. When the trumpet sounded long, they shall come onto the mountain. Verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount onto the people. So you realize that as for Moses, he could go onto the mountain. He could touch the mountain. Why? Because Moses was a consummation of holiness. Moses was a person who was perpetually sanctified. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Okay? So he could face God. He could even face the voice of the Lord. Okay? That was Moses. Verse 14. Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. Verse 15, and he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. Okay, so they should not sleep with their wives. Verse 16, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were tenders and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mounts, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. So now they were afraid. So Moses brought for the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the neither parts or the base of the mountain. Verse 18, and Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked like an earthquake. It shook greatly. Verse 19, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses speak, and now God answered him by a voice. Now, um, looking at it, God answered him by a voice. It seems to suggest that there are various ways and means through which God answers people, okay? And this time it was by, by a voice, okay? So there are various ways. Um, by which God answers people. Okay, so this time God decided to to answer him by a voice. Okay, verse twenty. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, and on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses up onto the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the the Lord to gaze. Okay, so he went down. That now that he has descended. You should tell the people that they should still remain where they are so that no one will try to, to peep through and, and, and cross the border to come and see how God looks like. Because, indeed, the person is going to perish. Ah, verse 22. And let the priest also, which come near unto the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Verse 23. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up unto Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, 
set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priest nor the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and speak unto them. Okay, now this 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 is what what's actually happened. Okay, um, if you would remember, let's quickly go to the book of um, Hebrews. When when we are studying the book of Hebrews, when we when we go to chapter chapter twelve. Okay, um, I was trying to explain what's happened in chapter twelve, and I think we can now go back to Hebrews chapter twelve, <clears throat> verse number um. 18, 19, and 20. Hebrews 12, 18, 19, 20. You see, you would never understand the book of Hebrews chapter 12, those verses, until you understand actually what is happening over here. Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 18. For ye have not come unto the mount that might be touched. So he's, he's comparing us in our dispensation, in the dispensation of grace. I'll talk about the seven dispensations. Where we find ourselves now, where God is dealing with us according to grace. He said that God not deal with us like he dealt with the people in the Old Testament. Where they had to come onto the mountain and face all these things. For us, God is not dealing with us like that. Okay, so let, let's see verse 18. Says, so, so we have not come onto the mount that might be touched. That might be burned with fire nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest so he is describing what happened over there where, where the mountain was was consumed with fire and the whole place was filled with smoke and it was dark and then here we are going to see verse 19 and the sound of a trumpet so you, you see that the trumpet that was sounded for a very long time and the voice of words that is the voice of god which voice which voice they that had entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So now they, they want to beg Moses that please they, they don't want to hear God's voice again. It's okay. Because if this is what it takes to hear God's voice, then Moses is fine. You go and listen to God's voice and come and tell us, okay? Verse 20. For they could not endure which was commanded. And if so, so much that as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or trust through with a that and so terrible was the sight that moses said i exceedingly feared and quick then he he contrasts that with who we are in our dispensation so all these things leads to what when you read the whole, the new testament says, but we have come unto mount zion unto the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem unto innumerable innumerable company of angels unto the great the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, unto God the judge of all, and to the spirit of just man made perfect, unto Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. Then it goes on. Okay, that's whose voice, verse 26, whose voice, that was, that was. <clears throat> so that was, um, um, the voice of God, it, it shook, it shook the earth, okay? Ha, ah, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. 
So, so that is the dispensation of grace. Verse 28, Hebrews 12, 28. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. That's God, consuming fire. Hmm. Let's go back to our book of so now with this with, with this picture you you would see that you know most people are, are are crying oh i want to hear god's voice i want to hear the voice of god oh you see you you have to know the requirements to hear god's voice and sometimes it looks as though the voice of god is rare in our dispensation and even in our own lives because we can use this study as a as a prototype or as an analogy so look at the criteria or the requirements or how we ought to prepare ourselves if we want to hear God's voice and audibly in our lives, not speculations, okay? Because God really speaks. And because we, uh, at times we, we don't meet the criteria. Uh, well, you, you might say that, oh, you you felt like this was what God was saying or you know, when you're reading the Bible, this was what, this was what the Spirit of te- was telling you. But, but I'm telling you for sure that God speaks. You know, and and you can get to a point where the voice of God can be so real to you that um, it's, it's no longer about speculations or what what you 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 feel God was telling you. It's it's exact and precise. But there's a requirement. The requirement is that you should sanctify yourself for three days. The requirement is that you should wash your garments. Of course, the sanctification then talks about purification and holiness. Uh, because um. Um, we, we, if, if you read the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that same chapter, it tells us that without holiness, no one will see God. No one will hear from God. And of course, washing of one's garment, which signifies outward righteousness. Hmm. So if you want God's voice to be so audible, okay, the more you sanctify and purify yourself, the sharper your senses become to hearing God. Now, let me just use this as an opportunity to, to um, I don't know if, if I've thought about the dispensations. Um, if, if you look at the concept of dispensations, when, when you talk about dispensations, dispensations refer to the period of time, okay? Um, it's just an exact period of time or a boundary of time during which God has a specific way of dealing with the people on earth. Okay, So that's what is called dispensation. So um, uh, there are different categories, or uh, there are different ways of categorizing dispensation. But um, I, I go by the seven forms of dispensation. Okay, and the, the first dispensation we saw in the Bible was dispensation of innocence, which was when God was dealing with Adam and Eve, okay, in their innocent um, states. So that was the first dispensation. That dispensation ended by um, their disobedience, which led to the, dis- the dispensation of conscience. Dispensation of conscience. So the first dispensation, dispensation of um, innocence. And as I said, during each dispensation, God has a specific way of dealing with people. God has a specific way of saving people. So in, in, in our dispensation called dispensation of grace, Salvation comes through accepting Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. But during the dispensation of the law and then the other dispensations, there were, there were ways and means in which people 
got saved or people became God's children, okay? Uh -huh. So the first one, dispensation of innocence, then after Adam and Eve fell, we went into the, the dispensation of conscience, where now they were being ruled by, by their conscience, okay? Then we, we went into the, the third category of dispensation, which was called dispensation of human governments. Um, here we saw um, where, where the people came together, the Tower of Babel. Okay, so those those times were what is called the, the dispensation of human governments. Um, Nimrod and his people, and how God, you know, sub separated the nations into various languages. So then humans started having kings and um, governments. Okay, so we call that the dispensation of human governments, where man was actually ruling on earth. Okay, then from there, we came all the way to God's meeting. So during that time, the voice of God was, was rare. Okay, God was selecting some specific people to be speaking with them. Until we come to Abraham, um, where God met Abraham, and the dealings with God on Abraham was based on God promising Abraham, okay, or God giving Abraham some promises. So that becomes a dispensation of promise. Okay, so let's go right again. Dispensation of innocence, dispensation of conscience, dispensation of human government, then dispensation of the promise. So the dispensation of the promise lasted from Abraham's time all the way to this event that we are seeing at Mount Sinai. Because from here, in the next chapter, chapter 20, we are going to see a new dispensation, which is called the dispensation of the law, which also comes with its own requirements. Okay, dispensation of the law, people are supposed to follow all the laws. And then, as you, if you break any of them, it, it had its own consequences. So that was the dispensation of the law. And of course, the dispensation of the law ended um, usually I ask people, when did the dispensation of the law end? The dispensation of the law ended when Jesus came. Okay, who came to introduce the dispensation of grace, which is the seat dispensation, dispensation of grace. Um, of course, um, um, you, you will see that in when you read the book of John, um, John chapter 1, who says that, for the law came by Moses, which is one dispensation, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, which is the dispensation of grace. Okay, but specifically, and um, there is, uh, if if you do this, these dispens, the study of these dispensations very well, you would see that always the the switch from one dispensation to the other dispensation occurs with the voice of God. Okay, there is always something particular about the switch from one dispensation to the other, and here we are seeing this um um, um how do you call it a miraculous encounter. Um, with all these um, lightnings and all these um, trumpets and sound and all these things. Okay, because it was a switch from one dispensation to the other, from the dispensation of promise to the dispensation of the law. And we would see in the New Testament, okay, when I was teaching Matthew chapter, I think 22 or so, was it Matthew 22? Um, 21 or uh, 22, one of them. Where we are looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. I emphasized that the transfiguration of Jesus Christ was actually what was shifting us from the dispensation of law to the dispensation of grace. Because we saw over there that two people came to stand by Jesus Christ. That was Moses and then Elijah. Moses and Elijah, okay? And it was also on top of a mountain, which people believe is Mount Sinai. 
Okay, so there, there was that, as I said, handing over, okay, from one dispensation to the other dispensation, where we are moving from the dispensation of the law to the dispensation of grace. And you saw that after that, what happened to the face of Jesus Christ? The face of Jesus Christ was shining in the same way the, the apparel or the garment of Jesus Christ became extremely white. We will see that when Moses went into the mountain and he went to carve the Ten Commandments and he came back, okay, which, which was actually an initiation into the dispensation of the law, what happened to the face of Moses? The face of Moses was also shining and then the garment of Moses was also, also became white. Exactly what was happening. Now, there's going to be the last, the last dispensation, which is the dispensation, okay, <clears throat> the, the, the dispensation of the millennium or the dispensation of the kingdom or what, whatever. However, people have various ways of calling the last dispensation, which is also going to be uh, um, um, where when you, we are talking about, of course, the, um, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he's, he will come down on the top of Mount Olivet. Okay, that's also going to be another switch from one, one dispensation to the other. Okay, good. So that is something that you should be aware of. Um, that this is what is we teach whenever this is what is called the the um, dispensations. Okay, so there are different forms of dispensation, and in in each dispensation, the way God deals with the people are different. So now in our dispensation, God is dealing with us differently from He dealt with those who were under the law. Those who were under the law, the law was was strict. You break it, you die. But in our dispensation, you can lie and lie. You can insult God and nothing happens to you. Because now God is dealing with us with grace and mercy. With grace and mercy. Okay? And that does not mean that we should live our lives anyhow. As Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Okay. So I think we can now go to um, Exodus chapter 20. Um, let's see. Maybe we, we will end with Exodus 20. So Exodus chapter 20 and the verse number one. And the Lord spake this way, saying, I am the Lord thy God. So this was this was the voice of the Lord that, that was coming from the mountain. Hmm. I am the Lord thy God. What does this mean? If God is saying, I'm the Lord thy God, that means that He created us. Okay, so He's our God. Secondly, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So God is saying that God is going to tell them to do something, which this is what is called the Ten Commandments. We are going to see that God is going to give them Ten Commandments. After God gives them these Ten Commandments, um, we are going to see that, okay, let, let me just make it clear. When Usually when you talk about the laws, the laws... We had the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is what is called the moral law. Ten of them. Then we have what is called the civil law. You will see that in chapter 21 going. Okay. So that's dealt with how you should treat your, your neighbors, how you should treat your slaves, how you should treat. So that has to do something, you know, with like um like the uh, the constitution. Okay, just as we have the constitution of Ghana. So those laws were also there. Then we have what is called the ceremonial law, which is explicitly explained in the book of Leviticus. Okay, in their worship, their sacrifices, and all those kinds. Of, so those two were laws. So the, you can classify the the laws of Israel into three: the moral law, which here is the, the Ten Commandments; 
then the civil laws, then the ceremonial laws. Okay, that's good. So here we are going to look at the moral law, and God is telling them that the reason why you ought to to oblige these moral laws is because one, first of all, I am the Lord your God. That should be enough. If that is not enough, let me tell you that I was the one that brought you out of Egypt. Secondly, we can apply this in our lives. In that, why should we live our lives according to the the principles of God, according to the leadings of God? One, because He is our God, and secondly, He has saved us. Okay. Most people think that these moral laws um, are a cake, and because it's the law, and because we are in the dispensation of grace, we should not. I don't. I don't know. Okay. But but as I said. If you are really in the dispensation of grace and you are living your life according to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, you come and you read the Ten Commandments and it's like you are actually obeying all the Ten Commandments. Okay, That's why Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but grace is empowerment to obey the law. That is grace. Empowerment from on high to obey the law. In the dispensation of the law, they were obeying the law by their own human strength. Okay. So that, that's something that I want us to be aware of. So let's look at the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So um, we see those those who are into law, if you've studied law, um, you will see that statement, shalt, okay, shalt, 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 okay, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. Okay, so it's, it's a legal statement. So that's the first one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That is one. Um, two, thou shalt not make unto you any engraving images or any likeness of anything that is above in that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water. Okay. So you said don't carve anything. No idols. Verse 5. Thou shalt not bow th thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquities of the father of the fathers upon the children, even unto the third and fourth generation of them that hit me. Verse 5. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So this is who God is. Now, why is it that God hates idols? All through the Bible, you see that it looks as though God has this great detest for idols. Now when you look at the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we realize that God created man in his own image and likeness, okay? So man is the exact representation of God. Or if I should put it in other ways, man is the idol. Man is the only idol that God permits. Because man is that which represents God Okay, because God created us in his image. So we are the image of God. The word image is idol. We are the image of God. So if you want to create something that represents God, you make a human being, then that one, God will be okay with you. Okay, because if you carve something, what you are saying is that this is God. If you carve something and you worship it, what you are saying is that, look at the omnipotence of God. Look at the omniscient God, the all-powerful God. You are saying that this is God. This tree that you have carved, this stone that you have carved, this is, this is how God looks like. Okay, but what God is saying is that you, you are his image, your wisdom, your beauty, 
is his image. Okay, so God is always against you carving something to represent him, carving something to worship him. Okay, so that, that's one reason why God is God is God is against idolatry. Now we will see in the next this statement that I've made is that of course it's a very serious statement that you are made in God's image. You will see then that the next verse, which is verse seven, it says that because God does not want idolatry, and because God okay only sees you as his idol, only sees you as his image, only sees you as his right representative. Then verse seven. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Usually, those days when we are children, we say, Thou shalt not mention the name of the Lord in vain. And so, when someone says, Jesus, you say, Oh, you've mentioned God's name in vain. But that is not what he's saying over here. What's he saying? Thou shalt not take. This has to do with more or less of ambassadorship or representative. Okay, so he's saying that if you are indeed and in fact made in the image of God, then you have to adequately represent God so that when we look in your life, we will say that this is the image of God. We will say that this is the, 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 the right representative of God by your actions, by your inactions, by the way you live your life. This is God on earth. Just as when Jesus came, Jesus was just the representative of the Father on earth. That's what God is telling you. That once you take upon yourself that you are a Christian, don't take God's name in vain. Don't let you become the reason why people are criticizing Christianity. Don't become the reason why people criticize God. That now these people they go to church and look at the way they are living their lives. Anytime you do that, then you take God's name in vain. That means that you've you've carried upon yourself the name of the Lord, but yet you are living a life that is not worthy of Him. That's the implication of this commandment. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. That takes his name in vain. Hmm. One day, when you look at it, of course, we also looked at that in Matthew chapter 20, 23, 22, 23. Yeah, I remember that. When one day the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and then um, they, they wanted to, to, to test him. So what, what they did was that um, they brought him, they asked Jesus that should um um how do you call it should we pay tax unto caesar and of course we know what jesus said render unto caesar the things which are caesar's and render unto god the things which are god's okay and i i explained in that scripture that you see what was actually happening well like he said render unto caesar the things which are caesar's and render unto god the things which are god the question that they should have asked jesus is that okay we know that the coin that we are holding is for caesar so we are going to give the coin to caesar but if you say we should render unto God the things which are God's, the question is, what things belong to God that we should render unto him? The analogy over there was that the, the, the coin that they were holding had the image of Caesar on. So then, if the coin has the image of Caesar on, then give that coin back to Caesar. But what has the image of God on? Because if the coin has the image of Caesar on, give that coin to Caesar. But you are the one that has the image of God on. So therefore, what are you supposed to render unto God? You are supposed to render your entire being unto God and represent him adequately. That was the meaning of that encounter. That was the meaning of that encounter. To render unto God the things which are God. And it's your life that is God because on you is the image of God. And because you carry God's image and because you are made in the image and likeness of God, 
you ought to indeed and in fact represent him adequately and you should not be the reason why people would say any negative things about god our father that art in heaven hallowed be thy name that means that holiness be unto your name it's not just something that we say verbally but it's something that we live that by my actions the name of the lord will be sanctified by my actions hallowed be unto your name by my actions your name will be glorified and holified and purified that's the implications of this now when you when you talk about um do not worship any idol let me just say this just for the completeness of that in our dispensation idolatry is not just limited to just worshiping idols but anything that you put premium on more than god becomes an idol anything and you know what god said god said he hates idols so any aspect of your life that you put more emphasis on than god to god to in the sight of god you made that thing an idol it can become your girlfriend your boyfriend your books your profession what, what about it is that's the truth if you put more emphasis on it than god it has become an idol now the word idolatry is the same root word for which we, we have the word adultery so they are all the same so if you commit adultery that means that you are cheating on your partner in the same way if you cheat on god it is idolatry and it's also um adultery okay hmm god is a jealous god time will fail us for us to explain that maybe i'll talk about that another time okay let's go to verse eight um remember the sabbath day keep it holy verse six uh, verse nine six days thou shalt work and do all thy work but the seventh day is the sabbath of the lord in it thou shalt not do any work um thou nor thy sons nor thy daughters nor thy man servant nor thy maid servant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger which is within thy gates for in six days the lord made heavens and earth the sea and all the things that are in them and rested on the seventh day wherefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it verse 12 so you realize that the first four are how you should relate to god then the six are how you should relate with your neighbors or with human beings so out of this the six the first of them is is honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth so you realize that of all these of all these ten commandments this is the only one that has promise attached to it that thy days may be long that's why when you read ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 he says it mm, that honor your mother and your father for this is the first commandment with what with promise all the other ones we don't see any promise attached but here honor thy father and thy mother so that your your days will be prolonged and most of it are not if i'm teaching this i extend it okay not only your your biological mother and father you can extend it the reason why your days will be will be long is because they brought you they brought you into this life so if you honor them okay you enlong your days or your life whatever that means you can apply it to any aspect of your life if you honor your teachers your days in the academic profession will be prolonged you you will climb the academic ladder that's why you know if you like watch those that you started jhs with and even SS, shs those that used to insult their teachers and all those find out where they are in the academic realm and look at 
the students that were always obedient to their teachers, respecting their teachers, and see where they have climbed. This principle applies to every aspect of your life. Anyone that bets you forth in any aspect of your life, if you honor that person, your days in that field or that profession will be lengthened. A principle that I apply, just from extension of this. Verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Verse 17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maid, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Ha. Verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were removed and stood foul. And then, uh, sorry, and they said unto Moses, Thou shalt speak with us, we will hear you, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Okay, so now, that's not Moses, it's enough. Okay, we were the one who said we wanted to hear God's voice, but now we want you to speak to us yourself. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove to you, and that's his fear may be before your faces, and that he is not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew nigh unto the thick clouds where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto thyself gods of gold. An altar of the earth thou shalt make unto me. And thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, thy peace offering, thy sheep, thy oxes. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. Verse 25. And if thou would make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewed stone. Okay, Um. let's look at the last verse. Neither shall they go up the stairs by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness might not be discovered there. Okay. Okay. So that's that's the end of chapter 20. Now, in chapter 21, next week, we are going to look at what is called the civil law. And we are going to look at how they ought to treat their servants and their slaves. Um, um sometimes people read this and say that uh, the Bible justifies slavery and all those kind of things and blah 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 blah. But what we what we should understand is that those days slavery was legal. It was legal. All, all over, the, everybody understood that slavery was legal, okay? So then if it's legal, then God needed to regulate it by giving this law. So we are going to look at Exodus chapter 21 next week. You can go ahead and then read it um, during the week so that when you meet, we would understand better. Okay. So that's where we would bring today's session to an end. Um, So we've looked at um, the people of the people um, wanting to hear God's voice and the preparations that comes with it, and the Ten Commandments and the implications of it. Okay, so um, we are on track. So from chapter twenty-one to chapter twenty-three, we are going to look at the civil law. Then from chapter twenty-four and twenty-five all the way to chapter forty, we are going to look at how God gave them detailed description of the tabernacle. So that's going to, that's from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 40. 
So you are going to, when you get there, there's a lot of work to be done. We look at the description of it and how we can apply it in our lives. Okay. So thank you very much for joining us. I have to get to work. So um, today I'll call Tina, Tina to pray with us then. We will then. Thank you. Hello. Yes, yeah, we can yes, hear you. I heard my name. Yeah, kindly pray with okay. us and let's end. Yes, please. Please let's pray. Father Lord, we thank you so much for another session today. We thank you for the gems that you've given us through our brother, Dr. Bright, today. Father, we pray that as we've learned today, let it be with us throughout our whole lives and throughout our daily lives. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, you replenish Dr. Bright wherever, from wherever he's given unto us. And our Lord, you bless him and you continue to be a blessing to us. Father, as we go about our duties today, we pray that you be with us and you take charge of our day-to-day -day activities. May we not forget what you've taught us today and what you teach us the days to come. This is what we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. God bless you.